bloody Nora. Well, we're off to a good start. So we're back again after a long break. Uh, Andrew's been um, jet-setting around the world, uh, doing his Nuffield Scholarship. Uh, and basically, that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, and hold on to your hats, because it's going to be a real um, roller coaster. No, it's not. It's going to be really, really dull. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. Right, we're in the Parkhouse Hotel in Shifnal. Uh, we've got a day at some regen thing, Green Farm Collective, tomorrow. Um, hopefully we'll give you some feedback on what that's like as well. Uh, but at the moment, we're going to explain why we've been away for so long. Basically, Andrew's been jetting across the world. Um, we've got um, Simon with us as well today. So we're having a three-way, so this should be interesting. So what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to let Andrew uh, ramble on about his Nuffield Scholarship what he's seen around the world, uh, compare it to the UK, and we'll just chip in with some just barracking, basically. So, please, Andrew, take it away. Thrill us. You're just jealous. Of what? Of me. 100%. 100%, yeah. <laughs> is, it my, is it my luscious locks? Yeah. <laughs> my amazing hair, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh... Where to start? At the beginning. Why did you do it? Why did you do a Nuffield Scholarship? Um, I work with a few Nuffield Scholars. I've worked with quite a few Nuffield Scholars. I know quite a few. And it's you something... You wanted to be in the gang? I wanted to be in the gang, but it was something that I wanted to do for myself. I think the personal growth, personal development, the leadership... Um, skills, qualities, whatever you want to call, thought leadership, whatever it might be, I felt like there was something for me to learn, to understand, to take away, to grow from, to benefit from. So, I'm, you know, it was it was a very selfish reason for, for doing it. Um, and that's, I'm not ashamed of that at all. I think it's why a lot of people do it. I think they want to better themselves, push themselves, take themselves out of the comfort zone, grow as a person um, to really sort of push boundaries and, and question everything you know the whole reason why we do the podcast is to question everything um, specifically to do with regen but uh, I think that sort of ethos should apply in the wider sense just because somebody tells us something doesn't necessarily mean that it's true you know call it fact checking if you will um, but that that was my attitude in that I wanted to see for myself you know I had opinions on things uh, rightly or wrongly I had these opinions and I wanted to be able to justify them yes no are they correct are my um, preconceived ideas of certain places people countries were they accurate so that was kind of the reason why I applied originally and did you, did you get it first time <laughs> no I didn't which which just shows the level of Nuffield scholar that exists oh really yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I failed first time. Uh, I wasn't. That must have been crushing. Do you know what it was? Yeah. I genuinely, um, I think probably the five five stages of of grief is it that you go yeah. through? Um, denial, you know, oh, no, it can't be right. Um, through to anger, you know, spiteful, whatever they are. I probably went through them all. Uh, and hunger. I, hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reticence. Yeah, that is just me. So I think it was, yeah, it was a bit of a crushing blow. It was something that I, I you know, I, 
I'll be honest and say that as a kid growing up, I got most things. You know, I was relatively successful as a, as a kid, as a sports person. So what's um, I know it's all gone downhill as an adult, <laughs> but I think it was it was quite humbling, probably, to think. You know, no, actually, it was a, it was a good it was a humbling experience. There you go, okay. that's what it was. Uh, so I'm, I'm not glad, and well, actually, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't get it last year because of how busy uh, things have been. But I went for it again this year. I wasn't going to, but I did. I'm glad I did. And second time lucky. Cool. So where tell what what is your the title of your scholarship? What? So I'm I'm looking at the management of organic waste, specifically organic manures. So it's how we can best manage our sort of waste products on farm uh, to reuse them most efficiently and effectively while also hopefully reducing our reliance on inputs, um, whether that's synthetic fertilizers or biostimulants or whatever it might be, reducing our reliance on inputs to ultimately reduce emissions, build soil health, uh, and improve or increase farm profitability. Okay, so the idea was, for your travels, what, what, did, what were you supposed to see? So I was, I was, yeah, so with the Nuffield, this, um, this is like a sales pitch for Nuffield almost, isn't it? An a insight bit. into Nuffield. Um, so with the Nuffield Scholarship, you get given a pot of money to go and study your specific chosen topic. Um, I was kindly sponsored by McDonald's UK in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the sort of commercial bit done, and I have to travel for a minimum of eight weeks studying this topic. So I'm trying to gain experience and uh, look at how it's done in different parts of the world, uh, and try and bring back some information or knowledge that can be used to help farmers in the UK. And how many weeks have you been? So so far, I've done zero. Oh, despite been having been away for, for two, months. two months. Two months, um, So I also applied for a GFP, which is a global focus programme, which is also done by Nuffield, and was somehow, amongst all of the other scholars in my cohort, chosen to do the GFP. And that is usually an intense six-week travel to six different countries in at least three different continents to look at agriculture in that country. So it's not relevant or specific to my topic at all. It is just Why a whistle-stop tour of agriculture in different countries. Right, okay. So, so yeah. that brings us... So. I'm guessing there's a heavy push for regenerative agriculture. There is in the UK, we know there is in the States, probably in the um, you know English-speaking world. Is that what you encountered on your travels? Where, first of all, where did you go? <laughs> yeah. And how regen was it? So I did a week in London. I did a week in Canada. I did three weeks in New Zealand. I did a week in Kenya and I did a week in Chile. So that was the total total tour, if you will. Um, I was... Dis- every country was talking about regen. Some were doing more than others. The idea of regen to some was 
less serious or or almost a little bit of a fad still um, whereas to others it was a bit more serious so it was it, uh, too many countries to give a broad brush approach Canada um, agriculture doesn't come with a carbon footprint so if you if you're a farmer the carbon emissions from your farm are null and void they don't count um, so that makes life easy for farmers yeah. uh, which is a whole topic for another day because we had a talk from a um, feedlot who was pitching us the idea that the, that the beef produced on this feedlot was the most sustainable beef in the world and because they had reduced their carbon footprint they could then sell the carbon the amount of carbon that they had reduced they could then sell um, despite having a carbon footprint it was just because the carbon footprint didn't count or the Canadian government didn't think that it was it was part of the biogenic cycle potentially <laughs> so it didn't count so they could sell the carbon so that was one option <sighs> New Zealand uh, that's probably a whole podcast on its own well, New um, Zealand, you always think, all oh, right, lots of grass, lots of integrated livestock. It's it's got to be, you know, sort of like, who was that toothy? Lots woman? of lots of irrigation and lots of nitrogen. Oh, so it's not so like it, some. And I I didn't see the whole of New Zealand, and I'm generalising based on what I saw. But if you took away the 190 kilograms of nitrogen that they can put, that that's the limit. So they can put. They've just reduced the total nitrogen that they're allowed to apply to 190 kilograms. On which crop? Grass? Grass. Throughout so, the season? Yes. Um, and obviously they irrigate heavily. So they're, they're sort of dry matter yields over the grazing ground over the 12-month the, the period was 16, 17, maybe 18. There might have been a few more pushing 20, but... You know, we know farmers in the UK that are doing 13 without any nitrogen. Some doing even more than that. We've got mm. farmers are doing over 20. So, given the amount of nitrogen that they could use and that they were using, and given the fact that they've got almost perfect growing conditions in that they control the weather within reason. They control the rain. Mm. Let's put it that way. They control through the irrigation. rain through irrigation. So they've got favorable climate compared to the UK they've got warmer weather generally obviously depends where you are the north to the south varies but they've almost got perfect weather conditions every single season so there's no reason that their, their yield consistencies are far greater they don't have to worry about wet springs or dry summers you know because they've got the irrigation Simon you were in New Zealand weren't you Yes, I was, was many, your, year, many years ago. What was your experience then? And were you do looking at like the livestock side of things, or yes, purely on a on a dairy dairy systems, lots of fertilizer, yeah, complete understanding of the utilization of the grass, yeah, feed allocation, yeah, yeah. down to the meter. I didn't have any experience of irrigation at all. Oh, you okay. saw them as you saw a few. So you're calling Andrew a liar? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's calling bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair yeah, I've been in business about three and a half months now. I think this is my last day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah get you get your coat. But so it, it was it your was, experience was complete because you were quite um, 
not depressed, but you were quite disillusioned. I'd gone to New Zealand with them very much on a pedestal. So the farming in New Zealand, in my mind, had always been world-leading. They were the world leaders in everything to do with farming. You know, everybody comes home and talks about New Zealand grazing. I don't know anybody that does New Zealand grazing, how I saw New Zealand grazing. Um, it, it's, is New Zealand grazing just keeping the cows out all year round? Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's people in the UK that are grazing consultants that obviously charge people a lot of money um, who have learned everything that they've learned in New Zealand, yet I didn't see anybody in New Zealand grazing how they graze. That's not to say they're right or wrong. I mean, that, that, that's not the point. But I think... So just what, in the UK, this, we've got a... reputation come from? Because I, don't I must know, admit, I, I, I always think, oh, right, you know, it's almost idyllic. Or idyllic, idyllic. Idyllic, isn't it? Idyllic. Is it, Actually, we've got an English expert. Is it idyllic? Is that how you say it? Perfect. Thank you. Idyllic. Right. <laughs> idyllic. Sorry to interrupt your lunch. A tea. <laughs> uh, it just... What the hell? I don't know why we put them on. Maybe because of every time you look at them on the TV or, or you know, in the UK we're eating New Zealand lamb on a regular basis. You know, it's it's very visible New Zealand produce and, and you know, worldwide I think they're quite highly thought of for a number of reasons. Don't know why. Maybe it's the marketing. We keep coming back to marketing. But maybe it's, it's clever marketing. Um, but I didn't... I, I, I spoke to you before about it and, and you said don't meet your heroes yeah. and maybe that's maybe that's the, the, the solution I'd... <laughs> or did you meet me well we'll never know <laughs> so it was a little bit like it it wasn't and I think people are going to listen to this and think oh you didn't like New Zealand that's not true but I wasn't as impressed with it as I was hoping to be and maybe it was because I had high expectations that it fell short so if you if you go somewhere expecting an eight out of ten and it's a seven you're disappointed. Mm. Whereas if you go expecting a six and it's a seven, you're yeah. really pleased. It's still a seven, but you've got a very different opinion on it. So I, I just was expecting a little bit more. Now we saw a couple of farms that were really cool, but uh, trying to bring it back to the UK, you know, there was one farm we went to that diversified into I don't know about seven different things, and. We sort of delved into it, and you know they were saying. So they've got like a farm shop. And no, a so they don't. They they started yeah. off with an um, an arable farm, um, and they had like fifteen thousand acres. So, okay, so already it's, they own half of Cornwall. Yeah. Um, you know it's it's not comparable to the UK to start with, um, but because they had that much land, because they owned it, they could then go to the banks really easily borrow loads of money and they bought their next door dairy farm you know thousand um, thousand acres with so it's not so much diversification uh, as just just growth. rampant expansion so yeah. it, they were portraying their diversification and diversified portfolio and they had multiple income streams they had deer for example they were arable they were beef they were dairy um they were doing an awful lot but actually, it was the situation or the, the position they found themselves in at the beginning that meant that they were able to do that. I don't think the average farmer in the UK could do what they did. So how relevant is it to the UK? In that instance, it wasn't. 
but their farming environment is so very different to ours. You know, they'd invested in the irrigation government. They talk about us in the UK getting subsidies, and, and obviously we do. But from my understanding, was a lot of the irrigation systems were also part funded by by the government. So they might not physically get the money like we do in the UK, but there was subsidies in other ways. Now I'm not saying have... that's the case for all irrigation yeah. systems, but a few that we visited were sort of instigated and done by by the government. So do they have issues with nitrates and things and water? Yes. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> nitrates is becoming so an issue. You used to have uh, phosphate blooms. Yeah, is that still a problem? What, in New, in Zealand? New Zealand? Yeah, so they weren't, probably because they got no water left in the rivers. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. Um, you'd go back in a heartbeat, wouldn't you, to New Zealand? I would love to go back and have a have a look. Yeah. yeah so I went the first time on my own, came back, yeah. um, met Amy, 21 years later. No, yeah, three <laughs> years later. Yeah. Three years later, we, yeah, we went back together, yeah. different area. Still in contact with uh, both farmers that I work worked with for out yeah. there. Um, one in particular, just outside of Danavark, is uh, very regenerative, uh, as in got gone away from everything. Yeah. As in purchased fertilizers, mm. using milk and molasses, different things. Oh right. So there are people out there. You, you just mm. didn't meet. No, so it, you know, and this is the thing: is because you're, you know, and I've interrupted Simon. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, that's fine. I interrupted because you. So. Because you, because you do, you see a visit in the morning. You see a visit you in the afternoon. Polite. Is it because Simon's here? No, I'm just in a nice mood. I'm just in a nice mood. I'm feeling. I'm feeling good. I'm reminiscing over the last two months. Yeah. Um, mm. You you do so much. You know, two, three visits every single day. You're going from one farm to the next. You're you're then being carted around in a bus where you're having to talk to people that you don't know. That's not a bad thing, but you're talking. There's no time to really reflect. And the conversation that, that we're having now has reminded me of, of a conversation we had with um, a dairy farm. They had, I think, had three or four different dairy units, and they were and I can't remember the name of them. I think it was like Agway, off the top of my head. But I, um, they're in Ireland. Yeah, it's similar to that, and they were aligned a I think it was aligned okay. farms and one of their dairy farms they were running regeneratively and they went cold turkey overnight and they struggled mm. and it wasn't great and they've learned from it and now in the third year of regenerative farming methods mintil, multi-species, all the usual then they're starting to see the benefits so in a, in a poor year or what they said last year wasn't a great growing season actually the regenerative farming methods were more profitable than the non-farming and uh, non-regenerative farming mm. methods so three years down the line they're seeing some benefits from it so there are farmers doing it but whether it was just and and i have to caveat everything i've said with the fact that i can only talk about the farms that i went to see and if we took somebody to the uk or if, if I was showing somebody around the UK and UK agriculture, it's highly likely that I would take them to what I know is huge, large farms that are quite impressive to see, yeah. mm -hmm. um, yeah. rather than the little, smaller, more interesting farms potentially that aren't doing anything particularly exciting or is quite extensive and low input, low output. So, uh, you know, I caveat it with that in that it could just be the farms we went to see. There were a few people doing some cool things. 
but for my mind we didn't see enough of it. Okay. And that's not necessarily a negative against New Zealand, that's just... It is. No, it no, isn't. It is. You hated it. No, I didn't. You did. You came back, you saw I hated it. And we only went to the South Island. Well, didn't go to the North Island. You see, I'd done a whistle-stop tour of... Well, I mean, I'd done a whistle-stop tour of 10 days of South Island, yeah. North Island, completely different, ethos. Yeah. So where different. did the Hobbits live? The North of the North, isn't North it? of the North. North yeah, of the North. Yeah, North of Auckland. It's all a bit weird up there. Yeah. Yeah. So you did, did, did you see a Hobbit? Nope. No. Did you see a Hobbit? No, Amy's dad didn't follow us. Ooh. Yes, on record now, so don't care. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. No, so we're dwelling on New Zealand yeah. too much. Okay, so tell me about nuts. <sighs> we So from New Zealand we went to Kenya. Oh, you're not going to tell me about nuts? Not telling you about nuts. Okay. But there were nuts we in Kenya. Were there? Yeah. Okay. There I were nuts. It was in Chile. There was also nuts in Chile, hazelnuts in Chile, macadamia nuts in Kenya. Okay. Uh, Brazil nuts in Brazil? Didn't, we landed in Brazil but didn't stay in Brazil. Um, yeah, it was macadamia. So you just saw the landing strip in Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a window seat so I can't oh, comment. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Kenya was Kenya was macadamia nuts, and Chile was was a lot of hazelnuts. Okay. Um, yeah, what what nut story were you? Uh, the one about the, the, the atrocious way the Chileans uh, treat the soil. Oh God! Um, I didn't mean any judgment by that. Yeah, no. What it was again? It was, it was an isolated farm, so it was a farm that had been bought, and uh, they. We literally stood in the middle of their farm waiting for them to turn up and show us around. And as far as you could see in every single direction there was huge groundworks going on where they'd literally made probably a metre high, um, so dug into the soil and made ridges. So like looked like a potato field but yeah. like giants. Yeah. You know, we're talking a metre high ridge um, at the width of a tractor, so huge. And it was to to plant um, hazelnut trees onto the ridges um, which meant it helped with irrigation and bits and pieces and for, for a number of different reasons but it was absolutely just it was awful the, the sort of landscape was and the soil was I was picking up lumps of soil that were the size of footballs that I could throw on the floor and wouldn't break you know it, the, the soil quality was horrific um, and then we went and visited an established hazelnut farm where they've obviously got their rows of hazelnut trees and the way in which they then harvest the hazelnuts is they fall onto the ground and they basically run along the ground with a um, what I would only describe as a road sweeping brush and they basically sweep up everything what, um, soil, nuts. soil, trees, nuts, leaves, twigs, branches, insects so they just brush them around all over, you didn't get a mouthful of nuts I uh, no, that I I thought I'd save that for you oh, when okay. you visit. Yeah, when I go. So you can tell me all about that. Okay. Um, but it was, and you literally the dust was everywhere. The trees weren't green; they were brown, um, which I questioned about the sort of photosynthesis and and wondered whether it was worth them washing their trees and how much the yield would increase. Mm. Um, and they said that there's a difference between the trees that are on the edge of the road where they get covered in more dust versus the trees in the centre of the plantation 
and there's a big yield difference. But anyway, um, so they're aware of it. They just don't care. They don't get enough rain. They don't irrigate above the tree line. They obviously irrigate drip irrigation. Mm. Um, it was mm, for somebody who's very interested in soil health. It, it was, sounds apocalyptic. It, it, it was a little like, bit. Yeah. It was a little bit. I, quite, you know, and apparently when they first planted these trees, they didn't plant them on ridges. Mm. Well, there was probably a metre ridge, mm. wow. which means that the sweeping, soil was, yeah. the soil had been, er a metre's worth of soil between the trees had been eroded. Um, I asked about growing cover crops in between trees. Not that you could, because yeah. the tree canopy had completely covered. But... I said, you know, is there, well, no, we don't do that because if we do that, we can't harvest. We can't harvest the, the, the hazelnuts. Whereas in Kenya, um, the farm we went to, the, looking at increasing the spacing between um, plantings to be able to do that. Mm. So they were already thinking about it in because they realised that actually ripping out the trees in 25 years' time wasn't as profitable as keeping them in for 40 years mm. where you're maintaining the soil and building organic matters in the soil. So there was a big shift in attitude and it appeared to be a get-rich-quick... What, in Chile? ...with the hazelnuts, mm. which, again, generalising because I didn't see everywhere, but... The farms we went to were larger, more intensive. You know, it was as many trees as you could possibly get in a square inch, um, and rate them for everything that they could. And where were these being sold to? These nuts. Uh, Just so, if there's any vegans out there having their hazelnut milk on their tofu muesli. I didn't even think about it from that point of view. Um, it's a very good point. Yeah. It was. It was largely Nutella. Nutella. Who who owns Nutella? Um, Mr. Nutella, Nestle, isn't it? Mm, no, it could be Nestle. Nestle. I don't know, but don't Nutella. Know. It was. It was. Yeah, and there was a number of different yeah. different sort of sources, but there was a couple of large processing plants that we went to to see. Um, it was interesting, but it's it's yeah. It doesn't it's, excite me. It doesn't. Industrial. It does. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't float my boat. I've got more issues with it than I do um, sort of praise for it. A Ferrero group. Ferrero, that's it. Ferrero, as in Ferrero Rocher. Ferrero Rocher. So Ferrero Rocher was another big part of it as okay. well. Okay, yeah. yeah. Ferrero, that's it. Yeah. Andrew, um, just going back. Yeah. To, uh, you said that the pods of soil, mm. size football, is not breaking. What was the previous cropping? Um, I honestly couldn't tell you because there was no sign of anything. I think from what I can remember the conversation being was that it was unproductive land and hadn't been farmed for a number of years so it effectively had been left for a number of years um, and the soil still hadn't recovered in any way shape or form I think that was that was that particular farm but this is this is the thing is you see so much you don't get a chance to write everything down um, and you're piecing together things so I, I my opinions are my opinions okay and they're based on what I saw, okay. and they might not be representative of the countries that I actually went to. So Chile is a hellhole, is what you're saying? No. I don't think I saw the best of Chile. Okay. That's what I'll say. We saw a huge dairy farm, which I really enjoyed the dairy side of it, from a dairy background. Um, 5,000 cows, all milked on robots, 
it was cool, it was interesting. Um, they have similar problems to what we have in the UK. Staff, good staff, mm. management. Um, you know, that that's a big part of what they do. Uh, I've worked on a large dairy farm in, in the UK and, and you're only as good as the staff running it. You know, you've got 5,000 cows and you're one owner. You cannot physically look after all 5,000 cows and do all the jobs you need to do. Mm. So you have to delegate, you have to have a good team around you. And that's the key point, is you're only as good as the staff around you. Now, they had some good staff, but they also admitted that some of the staff were less good. Crap. He didn't say that, but no. he, he had identified that as being the issue. And so I think is that an obstacle to regenerative agriculture then? So if you're looking at scale, and you're looking at scale, okay, in the UK, you've got a big farm, because we're always, when we're talking about regenerative agriculture, apart from the people jumping on the bandwagon, it generally seems to be smaller mixed farming uh, in the west of the country that seem to be regenerative agriculture. Um, if you go to the east, there's a lot of buzzwords being spouted, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of products being sold to them. But do you think if you if you scale up this, this staff issue, is a important factor because if you've got you, a bunch of thickies then you know you, it's I don't be know that, I don't know that's the case because if you're looking at uh, no you'd argue that regenerative agriculture less intensive more extensive so potentially take a dairy farm for example you're going to spend more of your time grazing so the animals will be grazing through the year and there was there was farms in New Zealand that were grazing 600 plus cows, you know, 700 mm. cows, 800 cows. In the UK, that's unheard of. If you've got more than 400 cows, they're probably in for most of the year. Mm -hmm. um, Just for management. For ease of management. Ease of management yeah. um, and it's it's also the grazing. You know, the the reason why they don't have any more cows than what they do in New Zealand is because the cows then have to walk too far between milking and the paddock. Um, what are they lazy? <laughs> No, the more the further they milk, the more energy they use for walking, and less they use for milk production. Milk production. Wow! So going back, going back 22 years, we were the furthest, the furthest paddock from the part was four kilometres. Mm. Yeah. So that would mean the person was up at four o'clock to go and get those cows to stop bringing them back to the the people yeah. in the in the parlour could actually be milking by quarter past five. Yeah. Wow. So and once that group was in, they would have to go back and get the second group. Yeah. So it's it's not just a case of yeah you've got to look at the whole land. But what? it's it's and you're absolutely right. Is it? But it's a different. One. But if you're looking at a grazing sort can't of can't you put the cows on wheels? No, I like don't. Know, train I, don't cows, I don't know that they're trained to use rollerblades. No, but you could get like a little uh, ATV at the front, tie them all up together with roller skates on. That way, they're not using energy, so they get more milk out of them. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody's worked. No, maybe that's a business idea you can explore. Gonna, yeah, okay. Feel free to share that. That's Car free. Carl does actually scare me sometimes. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> I was just thinking outside the box. It was... Yeah, I'm ignoring that. Okay, I think... <laughs> Tell us about your nuts. I think... Depending on the system, but I think the whole purpose of regenerative farming is is trying to be less reliant on resources and inputs mm -hmm. and I personally 
my old personal view, and maybe this is a little bit sentimental, but as a business owner, I would rather employ two people not than us. <laughs> <laughs> Any two, two people, two, but you. Not you two idiots. Two people as opposed to one person and a machine. And I think that's what I quite like about regenerative agriculture is that in some instances you're looking at, you know, take a vegetable market garden, for example. You know, there's some really nice market gardens allotments that are doing really, really well, making some really nice produce. And Riverford, Riverford possibly is, a, is maybe a more intensive version of it. But they're reliant on people, good people to do good jobs and work hard and work in the fields and harvest crops. Um, I quite like that. So instead of, you know, okay, we'll have a few more acres of land and the cows have to walk a bit further, but that's instead of buying in artificial inputs, growing a bit more grass and then harvesting it and feeding it in a TMR wagon. It's a bit of a trade-off. Regenerative doesn't work for every farming system, but I think... Uh, that's a really difficult question. I think regenerative agriculture can be scaled. And I don't know that staff is going to be the limiting factor because I would suggest that if you're adopting regenerative farming practices, things are a little less stressed, there's a little less time pressure, um, and that work-life balance will be a little bit better, which means you keep staff, you've got the right staff that are also bought in and invested in the farming program. It's also I'm generalizing. Time, time to actually invest in the staff as well to train them. Yeah, the more you pay them, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The more you pay, the, the better results you yeah, get. Absolutely. It's been proven, hundred percent. Is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. There's so you... many people, but you know what? On the serious note, there's so many businesses that are scared to invest in their staff because if they increase their, their staff's knowledge, the staff, they, they, their main fear is that the staff will then move on. Well, and also you've got the things like if you train up people who are um, beneath you, you don't want to teach them everything because they'll be after your job. After your job. So, no. We were this entering is, this slightly is, commerce No, this is, this is digressing obviously a little bit, but I, 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 the cost of advertising and employing somebody and then training somebody is always far greater Absolutely. than the cost of paying your already good member of staff a little bit more money if Absolutely. that's what it is that they really yeah. want to motivate them but I think you know if if you've got a company and an ethos that the employee can um, resonate with they'll enjoy the work that they're doing um, and money almost not becomes secondary because everybody's got to earn money, but you You've spend you spend a lot of your life working. You know, if 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 a day is twenty four hours a day, well, we do. Especially when someone's <laughs> panning about in Chile. <laughs> yeah, then everybody yeah. else works a bit harder. <laughs> you work a bit harder, but it's 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 the eights, isn't it? You've got eight hours at work, eight hours yeah. sleeping, and you've got eight hours of playtime. Well, in agriculture, that's probably sixteen hours of working and yeah. maybe eight hours sleep if you're lucky with the odd young farmer ball or agricultural show mm. thrown in but uh, yeah staff is a difficult one but uh, good staff are worth paying but it's not a limit to regenerative I don't think so and I think there's two reasons one is that it's a really nice way of life but you've also got the fact that it's a little less 
pressured is a little bit more relaxed and that helps the staff that are working to enjoy the job a little bit more so job satisfaction would probably be a little bit higher right coming probably back to maybe notes. coming back to notes. Oh, hell. yeah so we've done chile done new zealand did we do canada we Canada. yeah i didn't see much in canada it's um, very big it's a huge country we're in vancouver which isn't even a hugely agricultural you area you were too busy yeah so Poking sticks at the, at the feedlot guy, but wouldn't. No, oh, I did, yeah. Canada was more of a conference. Okay. So. Kenya. Yeah, Canada. I, I, I wouldn't delve in Canada too much. I met some really cool people, really cool people doing some really cool things, but that was probably the highlight. That mm -hmm. was the highlight. Um, so where else? Kenya? Kenya. And how did that go? Was um, it Kenya these days? Kenya, no, Kenya. No. If you're a posh Kenyan, it's probably Kenya. Yeah. Um, e... I could live in Kenya. There yeah. You go. I could probably it's a bit live of a in commute. Kenya. <laughs> a bit of a commute. Um, <laughs> Kenya. So, so coming back to the, the sort of what we wanted to talk about really is the UK is is you know the UK is the UK so we know what UK agriculture is all about how does our UK agriculture compare to the rest of the world yeah. um, and where are we in us in the standings if you will <laughs> now I would still put the Netherlands as as pretty close to the top um, regrettably so because I've got a few ties to the <laughs> Netherlands and we don't like to praise them too much but we we would I think they're pretty pretty forward-thinking UK Europe Northern Europe isn't far behind I thought New Zealand would be further ahead but two or three times it was mentioned that New Zealand farmers are looking to Europe because whatever's happening in Europe is coming in in New Zealand which suggests that Europe is a little bit ahead of New Zealand mm. um, no, it, it's something that Amy's always said. It, New Zealand reminded Amy of England twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that might be the case. And, and but it's it seems to be that, and I think that's more to do with the trends and what's fashionable, and not just in regards to clothing or food or or trends, but also, you know, what are we concerned about in the UK? Well, in five years' time, it's what they're concerned about in New Zealand. You know, that, that transition of, of everything seems to take a bit of time. But they would say themselves they're five, ten years behind Europe. I didn't think that was the case. I do now. Mm -hmm. Chile is probably ten years behind New Zealand in terms of farming practices. Regenerative, of all the countries I went to, regenerative agriculture was furthest down the agenda in Chile. Probably because water's their first, second, and third priority. Yeah. What the lack of water. Um, but then surely uh, Kenya's got to be similar, isn't it? So, so Kenya is so far behind. We're talking. It's in front. It, almost. <laughs> it, which is, it's, it's ridiculous, well, it's isn't it? It makes sense. Yeah. yeah it. it you're so Just they're so it. far behind. In some respects that they're actually ahead of us. They, and I guess that's probably due to the fact that they haven't got the access to synthetic fertilizers or chemicals, pesticides like we do in the UK. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, Yara and Bayer and BASF and all those, you know, huge international um, agrochemical companies are moving that way. You know, ag uh, Africa's the next 
next sort of agricultural revolution, if you will. That's where they're all heading. But it's so far behind that they're doing some really cool things that we would do pre-World War Two. Okay, give us a few examples then. Well, composting. Okay. The, 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 the management, crop management, the mixed farming. There was We went to a farm that was 35 acres and it was owned by um, a husband and wife. The husband that could no longer work, he was 90. His wife was still very much involved at she like was 80. She was 12. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> she wasn't. She was maybe 12 years younger. Oh, right. um, and she, they had 35, 45 acres, not very much. They were milking cows by hand. She'd made her own AD plant, which the gas that came off the AD plant was being used in their farmhouse to heat their heating, but also used as a cooking fuel. Um, and then the digestate was being used to go into the vegetable garden, which was being used to produce, you know, a small farm completely and utterly self-sufficient and was employing three or four guys mm. um, you know really really simple way of life but extremely efficient and the, the, you know from somebody that was looking at waste management there was no waste every last thing that was produced on that farm produced you know intentionally or unintentionally was utilised and used um, which I loved. So I, I so think in that was, respect, was there pressure to create yield? Were they more sort of like self-sufficient, or was there pressure to create more crops? There's, there's. So I think there was a time in the UK when you know the average farm would produce more than enough for itself, and they would sell the excess. Um, and I like that ethos. You know, again, call me yes. sentimental, but. New Zealand, there's 5 million people in New Zealand and they're talking about having a sustainable farming system. They're then also talking about New Zealand farmers being able to feed 50 million people. Um, well, if they want to be sustainable, why don't they just worry about the 5 million? And, so where yeah, is this food going to then? China. China. But it's, it's if you want to genuinely be sustainable, then why do you need to produce more? You just need to produce what you need to produce. And ultimately, you know, same in the UK, landowners buying more and more land because that's more equals more, doesn't it? Always. More does. So it's it, in Kenya. The the reports were that that middle class were increasing in wealth, so they were moving away from goat meat, for example, and they wanted to eat beef. That was a sign of that middle class increasing in wealth. Um, and they're moving away from just drinking milk to cheese, butter, cream. So they're just, you know, those small first steps. We went through those same steps in, in the UK. And obviously there was always the upper class mm. that have always had access to, you know, quality produce. But it's aspirational, wasn't it? It, it is. Yeah. And, and they're at that point now. There's 60 million people in Kenya. It's obviously a bigger country than the UK. They've got an awful lot of land. And interestingly, a lot of the places I went to have the same rainfall as we do in the UK. Okay, really? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. But they have it in two rain events. Okay, fair comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they'll have a, a, 
the short rains and the long rains and depending on which side of Mount Kenya you are or Kilimanjaro the rains can come in the clouds can build up and one side of the mountain range can have you know a thousand mil of rain a year and the other side could have nothing you know it's it's but where we went to the majority the average rainfall would be between 750 and 1500 mils of rain a year and what's in, the soil sort of are they free draining have they got a lot of organic matter no so they're really lacking on organic matter but we went to there was one farm we went to um i can't remember the name of the farm now um i'm terrible with names if you can't tell and they were adopting conservation grazing practices mm. for them that meant that they would rest a quarter of their farm each year bearing in mind their farms like 50,000 acres mm. you know it, it's again half of Cornwall um, but how productive was that because you're talking so about that land it's, it's really not productive versus the UK but the point that I'm trying to make is that three years into drought and these guys didn't have any rain mm. three years into some serious drought they were still able to graze the same number of livestock as they were before the drought drought started. They were a lot skinnier. Through (laughs) through that conservation of grazing. The animals were literally never in bones. They were still walking, they were still grazing, whereas when we went next door to the next farm that weren't adopting conservation grazing practices, there was a tuft of grass every 10 meters Mm. versus a tuft of grass every foot. So the cows that they've got, the species of cattle that they're grazing, are obviously used to those conditions. Mm. But it made a big difference. Um, And you could see the difference that a drop of rainfall was just going to disappear and it became a riverbed. And then within an hour it all dried up and you never knew you had any rain. Mm. Whereas where they've still had some sort of root structures in place, they could hold on to a lot more water. Mm. Um, Water is the limiting factor wherever you are. Yeah. Kenya, Chile. Well, this is exactly what Gabe Brown New said Zealand. when I said to him, stood next to him and said, what's the chink in the armour of your theories? And he said, water, you can't predict water, can you? No. So I think that's a universal across all agriculture and regenerative agriculture. 100%. Water. I think, uh, coming from the UK, we don't appreciate water quite like you do. <laughs> You don't appreciate the yeah. the reliance on water. Obviously, in the east you do, um, but not in this part of the world. No, bear with us. Um, sorry, distracted. Um, water, water is is the limiting resource that we need to be far more um, careful with. So, should we be concentrating on that? more than organic matter i think organic matter Mm. and water go hand in hand yeah i think the more organic matter you have the greater water holding capacity your soils have therefore the less water logging and poaching you have in the winter and the less affected you are by droughts in the summer I, i i'm absolutely convinced that organic matter in soils forget carbon credits you know literally forget them um, 
is irrelevant. It's the it's the organic matter. The yeah. value is to the farm and not to anybody else. Yeah. Your farm will be so much more profitable and resilient um, if you've got good organic matters in your soils. Simple as that. Okay. Forget the soil type. Forget everything else. Organic matter in the soils, purely to keep hold of the water. Okay. So, are there any other countries we've missed out? I spent 24 hours in Turkey, but that was purely by accident, and we weren't allowed at the airport, so that was irrelevant. Um, I don't even know why you mentioned it. Yeah. Random fact: largest sheep farmer in the world, Turkey. Is that right? Really? Yeah. He's a turkey. It is. It is <laughs> that's like interspecies farming. That's yeah, incredible. Is, yeah, it is incredible. Turkeys. Yeah. Turkey's farming sheep. Yeah. 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 No, didn't see any sheep in Turkey actually. No, they are. Ooh, didn't uh, eat lamb either. Over over ninety percent of them are housed. Yeah. Really interesting thing. Um, can't remember the guy's name. Turkish geezer. No, no, <laughs> Scottish guy doing a um, YouTube on sheep farming. Oh right. Okay. But yeah, is um went over to Turkey, had a good yeah. look around, looked at different systems. Yeah. Uh, really informative. So they're the turkey and the sheep. Turkey the, the boys. The boys. Oh. Not the Welsh. Well, I think the Welsh have probably got a hand in sheep, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's an unfortunate turn of phrase of ever. Look, we're getting near the end of the. Uh, we've been yeah, chattering for ages. Yeah, but. that was the, so. A week in London, which was great. A week in Canada, which was less great. Three weeks in New Zealand, which was pretty cool to see. Um, despite no hobbits, no hobbits. Um, Did you see that toothy lady? Toothy lady. What's her name? Um, Ahern. Jacinda. Uh, Jacinda. Jacinda. Ahern. No, didn't see her either. No. Um, that was. It was cool. I, I. Some of my favourite memories from the two months were in New Zealand. The countryside, the scenery is awesome. Mm. It's epic. Some of the big stations Don't we went the water, on. It's full of nitrate. <laughs> <laughs> some of the stations. There was one guy. That, said to you today about his Lucerne lay. Yeah. 40 yeah. years and compared to his reseed, fresh reseed in the field next to it, it was one tonne of dry matter down a year. Per hectare. Per hectare. Mm. Which is pretty impressive. Mm. Asked him what the secret was and he said rest. And I was like, okay, well that's easy when you've got 20,000 hectares yeah. of land. You can rest yeah. a quarter of your farm every year and you wouldn't even know. Um, but still, that was pretty cool. There was a guy doing some bale grazing experiments, outwintered bale grazing, and looking at the regeneration of um, the grass following bale grazing, which was cool. Um, so we saw some really, really cool things in New Zealand. Kenya was my favourite because it's so far behind, it's ahead. That's a perfect, yeah. perfect summary of, of Kenya. Mm. They're so far behind, they're actually ahead. Um, and then Chile, which... It was an apocalyptic nightmare. No, it wasn't, but there... Did you spread your Nutella, Nutella in Yeah, the no, I don't like Nutella. And, I, the and the best bit is I don't even like nuts, so it's completely <laughs> wasted on me. That's not what Lucy says. <laughs> uh, um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Chile, I, I, I don't think, and I stand by it, I didn't see the best of Chile. I think the, the, the host that we had was great. Jose was an absolute legend. Um, but he's an arable, he's an agronomist. Yeah. He's in the arable world. We saw one dairy farm. And that's fine, you know. I'm not saying every visit needed to be to a dairy farm. But I don't think we saw the best of Chile 
and what yeah. Chile had to offer. So uh, that was a little bit disappointing, just from a personal note, but it was still pretty cool to see. Um, right, I've got questions, right? Yeah. So you're bringing people from the Nuffield, whatever it is, organisation to the UK. Where are you going to take them? You've got a day. A day? Yeah. Good yeah. Oh, bloody hell. So Anywhere a day. Okay, but you can, you can travel. So you've, you've got a day's worth of visits then, put yeah. it like that. That's a super So question. take the... Take the the travel oh, that's that's you've dropped dropped that on me. I have. Yeah, um, where are you going? Where would where I take go? <sighs> Can I time travel? No. Well, the reason <laughs> the reason want? why I say that is I would take them to Groundswell show about two or three years ago. Okay. Okay. Right. Probably three. Two years ago. Yeah. The last Groundswell before COVID. Yes, okay. 2020? So basically for the big industry. 2019, wasn't it? No, I think it's one in 2020, because COVID was 21. No, it's 20. No, it's 20. Was it? Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, 20, don't, well, yeah, yeah, could yeah. be 19 then. Um, just before the big ag, you know, before yeah. the likes of Agri, Frontier, the Hutchinson's, AgriVista all the big ag chems decided to greenwash the shit out of Groundswell. Um, that's where I would take them because I think any farmer in the world farming any type of crop or animal could learn something from Groundswell three years ago. Okay. There you go. No, t- where else then? You can't oh, just because that's just the a bit of a casual. Grassland utilisation, grassland production. Yeah, it, it just it just. Try focus on grassland. No, it was something. Work. It was something for everybody. Groundswell a few years ago. Um, it's a little less so now. It's more of a social um, than an opportunity to learn. Where would I take? I would take them to see a diverse array of businesses from intensive dairy to extensive from intensive arable to regenerative arable uh, organic I, I would I think the beauty of the UK is we grow most crops um, not all crops but we grow a lot of different crops and I think all the crops we grow are grown pretty well in that farming system that so whether you're conventional farming i think we do conventional farming well i think we do organic farming well. i think we do i'm not blowing the trumpet i think anything that's that's done well would be interesting to see but i would ensure that we saw a diverse selection of businesses so do you think now in chile yeah there are three people sat in a pub yeah one of them is a nuffield scholar <laughs> yeah like Hey, Jose, what do you think of the England? <laughs> they, got, <laughs> they got no hazelnuts. Do you, do you think, that's not racist. I mean, it's a terrible impression, which arguably makes it racist. It was, I am Chilean. Ooh. But do, do you think people no, that come to the UK would go back thinking, oh, it's really, really sort of... I, like, I, I'm, it really depends on what they're shown. So yeah. I can only talk about what I saw yeah and what I saw I was shown <laughs> there you go if the ball had gone in the net it'd have been a goal, goal. exactly 
so I didn't have the opportunity to do my own travel in these countries, which means that I didn't um, see what I wanted to see, that I was yeah. interested in. So I, I just saw what I saw. And I think anybody that comes to the UK could be shown some really, really poor examples of agriculture. Mm -hmm. But I also think they could be shown some world-leading examples of agriculture. And I think that's the same in every single country. I think. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. We've got this conference thing tomorrow. So I think uh, in the drive home, we'll have I know, another I'm conference. really, really sorry to everybody that sat through and listened. This is going to be the lowest number of listens because nobody really wants to hear about well, if you my... listen to it a few times yourself you bump the numbers up yeah so... i'm not going to listen to this it has been anyway. like we can keep it playing in the background can't yeah, we? yeah. This, <laughs> is, okay. this has been like visiting it's, it's, grandpa it's, in the it's home it's very it? indulgent it's just... and it's not and then you you're the ones that that really wanted me to yeah. do this just so um, that you get it out of your system so we'd have to listen to your yeah. fucking travel stories anymore shut up yeah, but I did, I did, yeah yeah <laughs> I know. Do you know what the biggest, and I want to say it, and I know you're yeah. getting antsy because when the timer goes know, right, yeah, you get yeah. funny, is, is I learned and saw a hell of a lot. And there was a lot of moments that I, I thought, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to do something about that. That's, that's, you know, whatever it was that I saw had a big impact on me, both personally and professionally. But then um, you got home and Yellowstone was on and you thought, fuck it. Well, <laughs> you're not wrong in that you get back to the UK or I got back to the UK and I, I'm not saying I had life-changing moments, but there was a lot of big moments and life carries on. Nothing mm. has changed at home um, and I've slipped straight back into my day-to-day -day routine and it's almost as if I never went away. And that's kind of really, well, that's actually the biggest frustration of the whole trip is that I've not had time to process, fully process the trip. And given that the way in which life is in the UK, the real poignant moments will just remain that poignant moments at the time because they're not forgotten, but they just don't apply to the UK because society doesn't allow it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really a good summary, actually. Decent point to finish on. Um, um, yeah, right. Well, yeah. So that was that. Um, next, the next episode will be much more jolly and interesting and exciting and yeah. entertaining. I, yeah, and we've got to put up with them in the pub now for the rest of the evening. So thank you for listening. If you've got this far, uh, here's a few swear words for you if you have. Fuck bugger ass. So uh, that's just my little checking out, just so, you know, something to complain about. Um, speak to you soon. Bye.